morning. There is nobody happier to see you than me this morning. <laughs> After months of preaching to an empty kind of uh, church. Yeah, you, let's give God a hand. <laughs> when Pastor Nicole mentioned that, you all clapping. I was standing up. I'm like, yay, we're back in church. So it is good to see you. I'm glad that you came. To those of you online, we, uh, we want you to stay safe, too. We would love to have you here. Uh, but we want you to stay safe. I, I know if you're immunocompromised or any of those other things, my wife falls into that category. That's why she's not here today. Um, so we're glad to have you in person. We're glad to have you uh, online as well. And online will be an ongoing thing. We were doing this before COVID hit. It will continue on permanently after. In fact, we're working real hard at upgrading. I'm going to cough just a second here. <clears throat> um, so we're in this series called Parables. So every summer I tend to do uh, some sort of, uh, you know, special thing. Usually it's an Old Testament collection because um, I think people need to, to learn their Old Testament stories. Uh, and the second part of that is um, I often do Bible stories over uh, the summer because um, for a lot of people, if you grew up in church, you kind of got the, the Sunday school version of the story, which is, which is perfectly fine, and, and we try hard in our children's department not to teach you stuff we have to unteach you later, right? But it is the simplified version of it. And a lot of times the stories have uh, more adult kind of interpretations and, and, and more adult lessons in there as well. And so part of my summer, uh, whether I'm doing Old Testament or this summer with parables, is I, I want to take these and I want to help you to kind of understand the grown-up version of these, how this would have hit with, with adults and how it would have worked with them. And, and uh, the parables, I think, is fun because Jesus was a storyteller. Everywhere he went, he told stories all the time. Uh, and most of you uh, in life, you already know that, that stories are way more interesting to listen to than facts, right? You know, how many of you ever been like in a, in a presentation where there was like a PowerPoint slide just full of numbers and, and moving stuff and it was like, you could just feel the coffee seeping out of your, you know, your being because you needed to get something to wake up again. But a great story will hold people. And so uh, Jesus used it uh, a lot in all of that. And we're going to go to one that, that I'm going to be honest that what Jesus is talking about, the particulars, I'm not very good with. So how many of you have a garden? Any of you have any gardens in the back? Yeah, it was really fun on our, uh, our lobby page. We uh, asked people about their gardens and all the stuff they grew. You couldn't hardly read through that without getting hungry. It was like, oh, there's all this great stuff. Some of you have some wonderful gardens. Um, and so um, what we're going to talk about today is the parable of the sower, uh, which, again, I'm not good with, like, planting stuff. My wife is really good with that. She grew up on a working farm, and so uh, she does wonderful with it, but... For me, mostly my role is to haul this or haul that or, you know, turn the dirt over here. She doesn't let me get too involved because things wouldn't go very well uh, with that. Um, so th there is some things I've learned about this, though, although I'm not proficient with it. I have figured out a few things. And one of the things I have figured out, and I know this is going to come as a profound insight spiritually to you, uh, that is this, the importance of dirt. Have you noticed? If you want to grow stuff, you have to have dirt. That, that's, the, that's the whole, whole thing, you know. And, and you know, just, just to stand up for dirt for a minute, we've kind of gotten alienated from dirt in our eyes. We, we see it as the adversary. In modern America, when we say dirt, we mean something bad, right? You know, the kids got dirty. That's our, our word, you know. Or the house is dirty. Or there, there's dust. And, and we think of unclean, you know. It's not sanitary, especially with this COVID thing. We're kind of we're all tuned into that piece of it. Um, 
but, but the truth of the matter is that's not the way it is. It kind of gets a bad rap. And in fact, when I was growing up, and I, I grew up in Grace Harbor down there, right? So uh, you think it's wet up here. It's even wetter down there, and it was wet all the time. And I can remember when we were growing up, we had a patio, a car patio. We're kind of out in the country, uh, just outside the, the house where you came in the house. And there was a, a place where you could attach a hose. And in the summer, when I got all dirty... My mom would take the hose to me before I could come in because I was all muddy and all of that. would get all the dirt off, right? But, but here is the, the important truth about dirt. Dirt is life. Isn't it? Everything you eat at some point comes from the dirt. Now, I happen to like it when, when a cow pre-processes whatever grows out of the dirt. I'm, I'm fond of that, you know. I'll bet a lot of you are too. But, but even the stuff that comes directly out, my wife has been educating me for quite a while about things called vegetables, you know. People eat those things, not just animals, right? And so I've been working, but, but that comes out of that. Literally, dirt is life. And, and this is actually a part of, of the biblical kind of understanding of the world. You have to remember that the Bible was written during very, very agricultural sorts of times. Everybody had a garden, right? And a lot of people had fields. Even if you had other jobs, that you would, you would have those. We, we tend to think of life as this kind of closed in. You can't have very big sort of thing. I don't know about you. But my, my neighbor can put his hand on his house and reach out like this. And I can put my hand on a house and reach out like this. And we can touch hands. That's how close our house is. I'm in one of those you know, little neighborhoods they build. But, but in the ancient world, it wasn't like that. Even in, a, in a, a town, usually, unless it was a big place like maybe Jerusalem, you tended to have some area where you could grow stuff because you, you had to have that. And, and the whole context for the Bible is that. In fact, you remember the Genesis story? Right off the bat, do you remember what God said we're made of? Dirt. Exactly right. And if it had been, you know, Grace Harbor, it would have been mud, probably, you know? We're all easier to mold that. We are made out of dirt, and, and everything we eat comes from dirt. Without dirt, we, we starve. Um, and, and so in the ancient world, everybody had a garden, and they grew stuff. So it was really easy for Jesus when he talks about the, the parable of the sower, uh, because spiritual dirt, he says, works the same way. Your, your spiritual dirt, you didn't know you had spiritual dirt, did you? You carry it with you everywhere you go. You have spiritual dirt. That's what nourishes your soul, and so it's an important part of our spiritual lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, uh, and 3 through 23 is this whole parable, but there's kind of a, a section in the middle that, that's not directly related, but it's kind of a part of the large thing, and I don't have two hours to walk through the whole thing with you, uh, so we're going to kind of do the, the, um, the beginning part where he shares the parable, and we'll put that together. So what, what's been going on is Jesus has already been teaching, and he decides to get away from the crowd. So he goes down to the beach. How many of you like to go to the beach to get away from stuff? Jesus liked to do that too. He went to the Sea of Galilee. He was right there in Galilee. Um, and so uh, he goes down to the beach and the crowd follows him, right? You know, it's like, uh, and they're all there. And, and it, it records that it's a big crowd. It's a really big crowd. And he can't be seen in all of that. So he does what he's done before. He'll get in a boat and he'll push out a little bit. Uh, so that he can look at the crowd and they're not kind of up in his face and he can kind of project his voice that way. It's one of the ways they did that so that the crowd could see. And, and typically what we think probably happened in this one was when he got out in the boat and he turned around to kind of talk to the people, he could see probably some of the fields out there. And there were people probably planting or, you know, based on what time of year is going on. But based on this one, they were probably planting somewhere in there and, and they're planting their fields. And uh, so Jesus tended to illustrate out of everyday life. So most of these parables, you think there's something that, that worked that way in the ancient world. And so there's an important lesson he wants to teach them now about their hearts. Uh, and, and he knew, 
he knew that not everybody was following him for spiritual reasons, right? And if you've been in the church long enough, you know that not everybody comes to church for spiritual reasons, right? I mean, you can build a giant youth group on the relationship between boys and girls. Get enough girls, your boys will show up. Get enough boys, the girls will show up. You know, that, that's just part of it. And that, that's a pretty innocent sort of thing. But then we get to be adults, it can be all kinds of other things. In fact, I was in a church on staff with a church uh, when I was in seminary. Uh, and, and there was a particular guy that was a member of that church. And he only showed up at certain times of year. He was an elected politician. And usually a couple of months before the election, he would show up. And they had a time of sharing. And he would always stand up during that time and kind of share about the election. And it's important that you vote. And by the way, I'm running for da 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 You know, and you could just, I was on the platform. You could see eyes kind of rolling, right? Because... <laughs> That really wasn't why we were doing church, but, but that, that was okay. People come for all kinds of uh, reasons. Uh, some of them were following him because he had fed, fed them, you know, so that would follow him. Or some of them were following him for the show, honestly. You know, if, if there was somebody that could really do a miracle, I'd go see that, you know. Some of them were following because they needed the miracle in their life. Maybe that's a little, little healthier kind of thing. But, but like today, people were following him for all kinds of reasons. And so uh, with this parable, he's going he's gonna to get, get tough with them. This is a tough passage, uh, and it's directed at people like us that are serious uh, about our faith. And it, it's a call to examine our hearts. So you're ready to examine your dirt? It doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. So... <laughs> Uh, so let's start out with verse 3. A sower went out to sow, okay? Um, and today we, we tend to sow big farms. They sow with machines, and you can put it all in exactly the right place. But, but in the first century, it wasn't like that. In the first century, there were two ways that, that Jews would, would sow. Uh, the first one is they'd carry a bag with them, usually strapped around them in some way, and then they'd pick out some seed, and they'd kind of go like this, and, and they would throw it uh, down on, on the you know, wherever it went uh, out there. Uh, and, and then the other way that they would do that, they'd walk their field just kind of throwing, throwing the seed. Uh, not very precise, but, but pretty effective. The other way that they did that's kind of interesting, I just learned this one this week, was uh, if, if they had a long way to go and they were tired of carrying it, they would sometimes get their donkey and they would, they would put the, and they had to own a donkey, and then put the, the bag of seed on that, and they'd make a little hole, and it would dribble out as the donkey walked, and then they'd lead their donkey back and forth uh, through, through, the, through the fields. Uh, and so that, that's how they would do it. And, um, and then verse 4 kind of goes on. It says, um, And as he sowed, some seed fell on hard ground, and the birds came and devoured them. So let me explain to you how, how it worked. In, in Israel, in the first century, most of the fields were rectangular. They were long, you know, long one way, and then they, they had a short sort of thing. And between fields, there was a right-of-way. Uh, and that right-of-way would be the, the road where everybody sort of walked. And they had been walking there for centuries, okay? So the, the, the ground would become really hard packed down. In fact, uh, some of the scholars I was reading said it was probably about as hard as concrete. I mean, because you're not just talking about an occasional path. This would be lots of people over a very, very, very long time. And so it became extremely, extremely hard. And, and when a, a sower was going out to sow, whether he was throwing it like this which isn't real controlled, some of it would get on that hard ground, on that, that pathway, because they wanted to get as close as they could, right? Or, or even with a donkey, when you went to turn the donkey around, they had to get up on the path, and, and it'd fall on the path. And so they're literally talking about this, this pathway where people would go, this right-of-way, and, and uh, it, it was like rock, and it would, it would fall on that, okay? And, and it says that the birds of the air would come and devour them because it 
there was, it couldn't get any root. It was too hard for the seed to, seed to get going and it'd just be there exposed and the, the birds would come in, you know. If you spill some bird seed outside, it won't be long before the birds will discover that, right? Birds are pretty smart at figuring out where the food supply is. Amen? Any of you ever done that? Well, this, this is kind of off track, but like I said, I'm not a farmer. I grew up in a fishing community. Uh, how many of you have ever been out fishing out in the, yeah. I used to go out a lot. Sometimes I'd deckhand. Uh, it was a free, free fishing for me if I got to do that. But when we'd come back in, if you're running back in, if you're going to the boats out of Westport, uh, the deckhands are cleaning the fish, right? You know, and we're, we're sending it out the back. Want to know where the seagulls are? If you've ever done that, they're following the boats, right? And they're down and they're, they're getting all the... Well, the same thing with these birds. It's hard soil, so the birds come down and, and then there's no chance of it ever sprouting in all of this. And so here, here's the lesson Jesus brings out of that. He says this, hard ground people reject Jesus outright. These are the people that are hard to deal with sometimes. They just, they just, they can't hear it. They won't even consider Christianity. Maybe even they're adversarial to Christianity. You know, they, they just like, I, they're into other things. They're, you know, I believe in science or I, I be, don't believe in those fairy tales and how can that be true? And here's all the things that are, that, that are wrong with that. And I hope there's nobody here this morning, but, but Maybe there is, and maybe there's someone watching us online where you identify with this. This is, this is you. You recognize that you really don't want anything to do with Christianity, and you've never been open to the message. You think it's foolishness, and science is kind of what you're into. And yet you're listening to me this morning. Maybe there's a tiny something in your heart where God is trying to speak to you, and you want to know more. I just want to encourage you to, to open your heart to that. And by the way, there's a form of Christianity that I'm a part of that doesn't see a conflict between science and God. There's another way of understanding. If all you've ever been exposed to is an understanding of Christianity where science and, and God are, are in conflict with one another, I have good news for you and I would encourage you to seek someone out. Call me. I would love to talk about it. And stay open. I mean, really, what have you got to lose? What can it hurt? If, if you're oh, God, there is no God. If you try it out, you say, God, speak to me. And there is no God, you're open-minded. You win the prize. But if there is a God, maybe you should check that out. Might be important. I, I would encourage you. But, but maybe um, you, you, most of you, I hope, are, are thinking, that, that's not me. I, I'm, that doesn't really describe me very well. So Jesus goes on and gets to another group. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, okay? Um, and then it goes on. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Now, for most of my life, uh, until I went to seminary, I always thought of this as kind of the rocky soil that we sometimes have around here. If you ever go to plant a garden, the, the first thing you got to do is pull all the rocks out, you know, and get them all out. And sometimes you can strain them and farmers do. That's actually not what they're talking about. In, in the first century in Israel, uh, there, there was a, a very hard sandstone layer. And in many places, uh, that sandstone layer would be covered with just a, a little bit of dirt that would go over it. And so when he talks about a rocky place, he's talking about a thin layer of dirt over rock. And what would happen is, if you, got, got, if you planted seed in there, uh, and when they spread it, they may get that on part of their stuff, it would, it would get in there and it would be nice and warm really quickly because of sandstone, you know, and, and, and then it would, it would spring up really fast. 
But the problem was that there wasn't any way for them to put roots down because it could only go into the dirt and it couldn't go down deep to really sustain, sustain them. And so without the roots, whenever the sun got too hot, it couldn't get enough moisture. If the wind blew too hard, then it, it couldn't hold itself up and, and it would die. It'd just spring up really quick and it's like, wow, look at that harvest. It's going way faster than this stuff over here. But it, it, it wouldn't last. And so the rocky ground people are people that start big but give up when life gets hard. And I've been in the church all of my life. And so I've seen this more times than I would really like to think about. But that, that person that kind of starts out, they're praising God and they're having a great time and they, they get baptized and they hug everybody in the whole church and, and, and they, they tell people about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? Kind of a thing, you know, met that person, you know. They're, they're volunteering, they're, they're giving, they're, they're doing it all. And then something bad happens in their life. Maybe, maybe their marriage falls apart. Or they get a bad diagnosis. Or their children reject them. Or they lose their job. Or someone they, cares about, they care about dies. And all of a sudden, they begin to struggle. And don't get me wrong, struggle is okay. I have struggled too. But they don't have the roots to sustain them. And when the storm of life comes, eventually they give up and they walk away. And they're, they're often bitter when they, they walk away. That, that's not what it was. I, I thought God was going to take care of me. They kind of somewhere missed the deeper root that says God is with you. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go the way you want it to go. Amen? You don't have to walk with the Lord long before you figure out that. See, they can't take it and they blame God and sometimes they just drift away. But Rocky ground people fail to create the deep roots of faith that sustain us in difficult times. True spirituality isn't trusting God in good times. It's trusting God in the hard times. Amen? That, that's the heart of our faith. And with no roots, the, the first wind or storm destroys the plant and it doesn't survive to, to get to the harvest. By the way, this whole thing is about the harvest at the end of it. And there's, there's, it's hard for them. We, we see this. We live in a place where trees go really, really tall. When I, when I lived in the Midwest, I'd tell people about how tall the trees are out here. They were like, no, really? I'm like, yeah, they get big out here. The only way they get big is that the roots have to go down deep, Right? including right through your, the foundation of your house if they, if they get going. Because once, once they get big, you can't hardly stop them. But when they're young, it doesn't take much. And so for, for these people, the rocky ground people, they're, they're, just, they're just struggling with that. There's not enough to hold them there. And this is where we get so many people who were once the Christians or the Duns or the formerly Christian that there, there wasn't, it wasn't there. And Jesus is saying, your spirituality is the same way. If you don't put down deep roots, there's trouble ahead. It's so easy to look at the, the plant on the outside and go, what a beautiful plant. Isn't that great? You know, we really love that. It's easy to kind of fawn over Christians that have got this big testimony and all this kind of stuff. But they're not necessarily the ones that last because honestly, especially in the early days, the roots are more important than the plant. Because a plant with a lot of good roots but not much growth on the top will eventually have a lot of growth on the top. A great harvest that it talks about at the end. But a plant that's really big on the top and doesn't have much root probably won't make it to harvest. Roots are hard work. Amen? They're, they're hard work. Very little public reward for that until the storm comes and you can last. This came home to me in a, a profound way when I got cancer. 
my, uh, most of my public ministry is not what sustained me. It wasn't the sermons that I'd preached. It wasn't the people I'd led to the Lord. It wasn't any of that. I'm going to tell you, honestly, what sustained me in those dark hours was the years of lifetime spiritual disciplines, of digging into God's word, of prayer, uh, of confession of my, my faults and the places where I didn't get it right. Uh, the, those disciplines, that, that stuff that you don't see, because ultimately, spiritual disciplines build roots. I'm glad that you guys come and hear me preach. But if this is the only spiritual input you get in the week, it's not enough. It's just, it's not enough. You need more than that. And this looks a little different for everybody, but, but you, de- do, you need more. You need a lifetime of, of prayer and scripture and life groups and, and church attendance and, and, and struggling to grow and where the Lord challenges you and, and lets smaller things come into your life. I am so glad now for the challenges I had through life. None of them were as big as, by the way, you might die in the next year or so, but every one of them made me stronger. Every one of them dug the roots deeper, dug the roots deeper, deeper and deeper and deeper. And when the storm came that threatened my life, it got real simple real fast. It came down to that thing I put out there a thousand times, I trust God. And instead of struggling to try and figure out how to trust God, I found myself just kind of relaxing into it. Why? Because I had good roots. And again, not from my preaching, but from the life of following Christ, of being a disciple for decades in all that I did. And it was so powerful. And in many ways, this is embarrassing to say because I'm a preacher. It was kind of eye-opening because I thought preaching was really important, you know? And I, I think it is. But it's just the beginning. We need to put down different, deep roots. But, but maybe that's not you either. Maybe you're thinking, no, nah, that, that's, really, that's not really me either. I've, I've got deep roots. So how, how about this one? Um, verse 7, maybe it describes you. And this is the hard one to hear, okay? And this is the one that brought conviction to me. The deep roots didn't bring conviction, but this one brought some conviction to me. Verse 7, you ready? I hope you're ready. Here we go. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. This is a deceptive one. Because this is, implies the idea that they've tilled the ground and it, it looks good on the outside. Everything's like, great, we got good soil, there's, there's no sandstone under there, it's not the path, you know, we're, we're ready for this. And, and you plant it. And what you don't know is that when you're planting the seeds, there's already the seeds of the thorns, of the, of the weeds, of the thistles built into the dirt that you were unaware of. And when the, the plant begins to grow and you're like, yay, we got a great harvest, and you're kind of looking at it, and then you kind of get looking a little closer and go, whoa, 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 what's, what's that thing over there? That's not what I was trying to grow, and it's got a little thorn on it, and it's, it's competing with it, and, and, and all of a sudden it, that sort of thing, they begin to grow together, and, and they're competing for the resources, for the water, which was very important in that world, and, and for the nutrients, and for the space, and for the, for the sunlight. I, I don't know about any of you, but I have waged a lifelong war against weeds in my lawn. Can I get an amen? And no matter what you do, those little buggers show up somewhere along in that whole process. It's just, you know, and we've done the treat it, and we've done all of those. And, and it was the first century, too. They would, they would show up, and it's so frustrating. And, and honestly, I think this is the part of the parable that probably in many ways describes Christianity in the Western world. We have so many really great distractions. 
We have all kinds of entertainment. We have more entertainment available to us with the click of a TV remote than most people through history had available to them in a lifetime. I mean, there's a gazillion channels. We just cut the cable, by the way. It feels so liberating, you know? We kind of got like a Hulu thing, you know, so watch a few things once in a while. But there, there's so many, so many things out there we can do, so many hobbies we can be a part of. And don't misunderstand me. I don't think entertainment is, is bad. But, but it can become competitive. There, there, we have so much money. There's so many things in there. We, we sometimes, you know, you got to have this and you got to have that and status and, and sports. And there's all of these things competing for our time. Have you noticed? I mean, uh, I was taking a church history course, American Church History, and they can track where the amount of entertainment in the Western world started to go up and where church attendance began to struggle on Sunday morning. Well, it's just as easy to go do these other things on Sunday morning. It's just as easy, you know, and nobody's saying, hey, we don't believe in Christianity. It's, it's not like the hard nerd. It's not like, hey, I don't, you know, they're not. it's just that there's just all kinds of things. And I'm not, I don't mean just church attendance, but I mean that there are other things that can get into our lives that compete for especially our time. And you know what it takes to build deep soil and roots? Time. That, that compete for, for our, our, our resources, that, that choke our spiritual life. Our, our energy gets sucked up in those things. Our, our attention gets sucked up in those things. And, and, it, and what makes it especially dangerous, you can't tell. And the second thing is, it's slow. It doesn't happen fast. It's pretty easy to be tuned into dangers that are big and sudden, right? We're going to do something about that. But something that's hard to see, and just kind of slowly comes on, those are the ones that can get us because our attention is elsewhere. Because our, our time is, is elsewhere. And, and, and the, the, the weeds grow with the plant. In fact, here's kind of a definition of weeds. Weeds are anything that keep you from practices that nourish your soul. This was hard for me because <laughs> I'm ADHD. It's really easy for me to get distracted, right? You know? I mean, it's hard. I, I was running the slides. Did you notice a couple of places where the slides didn't work out quite right? ADHD, distracted, you know. It can happen to us. We get too busy to pray or too busy to read our Bible or to be in church or to be with our life group, too tired to, to serve other people, too afraid to confess our faults to another brother or sister in Christ. I'm too afraid to fill in the blank. What, what, what's your weed? In fact, I, I think every, every, every spiritual dirt has a particular type of weed that gets in there. Just like, you know, different parts of the country have different weeds, you know. Every person has their own little struggle. There are certain kinds of weeds we have here that we didn't seem to deal with as much in Missouri. And with stuff there that we don't seem to deal with as, as much here. What, what, what's your weed? And I, I mean like the plant, not the, you get the idea. Can I be just real frank? It's why some of us are in the same place spiritually today that we were 10 years ago. Now, it's not that we're rebelling against God, you know, but it's just that things have grown up and things have gotten in the way and things take over the space that was once meant for God that is now filled with these other things. We haven't grown much because we won't let go of some of the stuff. Some of the, the things that, that have gotten in the way in our lives not that those things are wrong. Don't misunderstand me. Here, here, here's the trick for those of you that grew up in the church. I grew up knowing what was wrong. And I have avoided those things. 
It's the things that are good that compete for my time and my energy. Those are the ones that get me. I, I, I haven't been tempted to rob a bank in a very long time. I, I just don't feel that temptation in my life. But the temptation to say, oh, you know, I, my devotions today, i got to set those aside. Or, or, you know, man, Lord, I don't got time to pray for those people that are lost. Those are the things that get me. See how convicting this one is? This is the hard one. And it's different. But, but what is your weed? What is your weed? And no matter which one of, of these describe you, here's the one hope we're all striving for. This is where this, this passage finally gets good and fun. It says this. Other seed fell on the good soil. <laughs> Let's try that again. Other seed fell on the good soil. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love having an audience again. This is so good. And produced grain. And here's where it's talking about the harvest. Some a hundredfold. Some 60, some 30. Good dirt. It took hold. Deep roots. It sustained growth. It withstood the storms. It doesn't get choked out. And it produced a great harvest. Which, as it turns out, is why we are here. To produce a harvest for the kingdom. This is a temporary assignment. You know that, right? You know? We'd just be passing through, folks. And we are here to produce a harvest for Christ. And Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. And you put that together with this parable and you go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Because you have to be the good soil to really produce the, the fruit. You, you should all be standing up and shouting and saying, praising God. We'll take that for now. <laughs> but here's the catch. Everybody thinks they are the good dirt. That hurt, didn't it? <laughs> Nobody walks around going, I'm the shallow dirt. Oh, I can't help it. You know, and then they walk away. Uh, nobody says, I, I'm, the, I'm the weedy ground. You know, that, that's me. I'm the weedy ground. No, no, no. Me, I'm the good dirt. But the test of the good soil is this. How's the harvest? How's it going? And, and you can take this both ways, conversions and outreach and just in your life. The fruit of the Spirit. Let me read some of the good harvest. The fruit of the Spirit is love. How you doing loving those people that are hard to love? Joy. Peace. As we go into this time of politics and electing a new president or re-electing the current one, do you have peace? How's your harvest of peace? Forbearance. That means putting up with people. Kindness. Boy, we're a nation that's struggling with kindness and how we talk to one another. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And gentleness isn't measured by the people you love. It's measured by how you react to the people that drive you crazy and you want to slap. Self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. Or, or maybe a harvest of souls who are moving toward Christ because of your life. Do you have a set of specific names you pray for? I know I've asked you guys a lot about this. I have a specific name, and in these days it has been growing, that list that I pray for all the time. That's that part of that list that it's like, oh, Lord, I'm tired. I pray for that all the time. And i got to tell you something. There is something going on in our nation today. I have had more serious spiritual conversations with people since COVID hit than I have probably in a couple of years all put together. 
And we've seen some people come to Christ, and we've seen people asking questions. And just out of the blue, people will call me up and say, something's going on in my spiritual life, and I, you know, I haven't been in church a long time, and I don't. It's amazing. I hope, I hope you have a list of people you are praying for by name. Ask the Lord to show you. He'll show you in all of that. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. If you find yourself in one of those other categories, here's the really good news. He who has ears, let him hear. That means there's hope that we can hear it. Not everyone is religious, uh, is really following Jesus for the right reasons. Those huge crowds that, that followed him, thousands. Do you remember how many people were there at the crucifixion? Three. Well, then he rose from the dead. You'd think that would have drawn a crowd. Do you remember how many were in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit? 120. 120. Drop the whole thing down. Truth is, not everyone will hear this parable. But for those who will, there is great hope for you and for me. God can change your dirt. That is good news. Today, this morning, right now, he can change your do, dirt. And all you have to ask, do is ask him. The hard soil, he can plow through that and turn it over and make it new again. The shallow soil, he can get rid of the rock under that and make it deep. And he is the best there ever was at weeding the garden. Thanks be to God. He can do that. If our musicians would come, we're going to sing in just a minute. But how's your soul this morning? How's your dirt? Not just because you think it's good dirt, but because you're seeing the harvest, either in the changes in you, fruit of the Spirit, or maybe there are people that God is moving. Maybe, maybe this is the time to reach out to some of those people you've been praying for and say, how are you doing through all of this? How's it going spiritually for you? People will answer spiritual questions, you know, because everything's spiritual. This is the time. God is on the move. How's your dirt? Let's get our dirt together. I want to be a really dirty church. I mean, spiritually dirt, dirty, clean, dirt church. And for those of you who are online, I'm going to pray in just a minute, and you as well. And, and if, if you need a change in dirt, would you just ask the Lord while I pray? Just say, Lord, I recognize myself as the weedy dirt or the shallow dirt or the too hard dirt. And maybe if you're that too hard and you've been rejecting Christ, this would be the time where you can step into faith. Step across the line. You go, I don't know about this stuff. I don't, that's all right. Just trust God. Just say, God, you can even say, God, I don't even know if you're there. If you're there, show me. Oh, boy, can he do that. But I want to have the good dirt. I want to be this person. So join me as we pray. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, what a powerful and convicting parable this is when we read it as adults. So, Father, I pray for all of us that, that wherever we need to make the changes, and I'll confess, Lord, in my life, that's, that's the weeds. It just things get busy and I get going, and it's easy to just let them grow. I pray, Father, that you would clean out my dirt, Lord, that you would um, take out of my life or show me how to take out of my life some of those things that compete with you and with relationship with you. And Father, for that one that, that's got the rocky soil, maybe it sprang up and they had a great experience and then something happened and now they're far from you and they realize it's time to come back, Father. Would you, would you pull them back in? Would you remind them, Lord, that, that uh, you are always ready to welcome them, the story of the prodigal son. It doesn't matter that they, they left, that you'll bring them back. And as they pray and ask to come back home, would you just fill them with your presence, Father? And then for maybe that one that this morning says, I'm 
I'm the hard soil. I, I, I don't even know about this. I don't even know if I care about it, but something's going on. Father, this morning, would you till their soil under? And would you plant your seed of salvation and good news into their heart? And Father, I pray, even as they ask you now to come into their life, not even sure whether they believe in you, that you would just move in in a powerful way and pour your spirit out into them, Father. And let them know that, that if they ask you to forgive their sins, that you will lift that burden and they'll be a new creation in you, Father. I just pray that you'd welcome them into the kingdom right now. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be the good soil. Make us a church filled with good dirt, Father, to your glory and honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, ooh, that's nice to hear you say that. We're going to worship the Lord in giving together. And the rules have kind of changed about this. Many of you have been giving online. I encourage you, you can continue to do that. Uh, you can do that through our webpage. Uh, you can do that uh, generationscommunity.org. You can also give through the app if you have that. There's a place uh, to do it on our app as well. Uh, you can also text to give, 77977, or give 784, our verse, Psalm 784. Give 784 to 77977. And uh, the third one is, the, what's the third one? Oh, yeah, you can actually put a check in and mail it. That won't apply to you guys. Uh, P.O. Box 1654, Marysville, Washington, uh, as well. And for you, those of you that are here, uh, we aren't going to pass offering plates. But in the back, back right back here between these two doors, and we'll get some on that side, there's a box there that's secured. And as you go out, you can just put a, a check or money or whatever you want right in, in that box. And I know there aren't envelopes in there because we took everything out so, so that people wouldn't touch those sorts of things, but that will probably be our plan uh, going forward. Uh, so let's worship the Lord. Where's the woohoo? First time back, we'll take that. <laughs> let's worship the Lord in giving, and let's sing as we do it.